Welcome to episode 108 of the False Neutral Podcast for January of 2021. I'm Pete. Eric and Garrett are both with me. How are you guys doing? Oh, not too bad. Grinding away Surviving. for another day. <laughs> Grinding away for another year. How's that? Yeah. So I got my COVID vaccines and uh, I got the Pfizer vaccine and I got the first dose on the 21st of December. And it wasn't too bad, but I did get pretty fatigued, like probably 24 hours after getting the dose. I was just like really lethargic and it went away after about another 24 hours. And I got the second dose, let's see, the day before, let's see, two days ago. And the day after I just had the worst, like muscle pain, body cramps, chills, fever, but luckily, it only lasted about 12 hours. So, uh, is, is that the gap between the two norm two shots normally? Because that's one thing I yeah. haven't really heard. Any Three consistency weeks, 21 on days. This. 21 days. Okay. 21 days is the target, but it can be a few days before, a few days after. Um, so, and you know, I have reason to believe that the vaccine works because it it worked. I had a high risk exposure. Basically, there was a patient who um, was COVID positive, but somehow it got either missed. He got the patient got tested during admission and it was negative. But then there were symptoms and he ended up testing positive after I had already cared for this patient, like not in precautions at all. So I had this high risk exposure and I ended up getting two COVID tests after that. Both were negative. So uh, maybe the vaccine actually works. I I would think so because there's almost no way that I wouldn't have gotten COVID uh, because of this work exposure. Um, so long story short, I think the vaccine works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my I, my uh, uh, sister in law is a radiologist, and she uh, she's gotten hers, and she actually didn't have too many symptoms of it. She's like, I hope I didn't yeah. get a placebo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, w- I actually went back and looked. Next month will be our fifth anniversary. Wow. Oh, wow. Our first episode went live on February 26th of 2016. So wow. w- we've been at this five years as of next month. So we'll have to think of something to do uh, next month, talk about our favorite topics or something like that. Have a Have a retrospective. Is, is this where we bring back the old favorite and, 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 uh, rather than do it through from, um, Craigslist, we'll just do it off of Facebook marketplace. I guess the price. <laughs> oh, we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we haven't done that one in a long time. Okay. I'll put something together for next month. Yes. Uh, workshop update. I'll, I'll go first because mine will be fast. <laughs> okay. Um, there was, Thought process, at least, on my bike. Well, no physical process. There was thought process in that. Uh, last week, my buddy Jamie called me out of the blue. Uh, he's a guy who's got 
like a zillion bikes, including the um, uh, RS125 and RS250 Aprilia GP bikes, among others, and about four old Ducatis. And anyways, um, we had a conversation when he was over, and he's he's like, well, if you can get the engine out of the frame and just bring everything over, we'll do, we'll just slap it together. So at least there was a thought process of how to get mine moving forward some way where it's not 30 degrees in the garage and I'm sitting there swearing at things because my hand, I can't feel my hands. Yeah. I wish there was a way it was cheaper and easier to get that thing over to my shop <laughs> so I could work on it. Cause I really want to see that motorcycle going. Yeah. Like I said, last I, time, I'm just frustrated. With- I keep looking on Craigslist for like a 400 or 450 CC, you know, Honda Yamaha thing, just something that's like slow electric start, uh, you know, just to ride around my neighborhood kind of a thing. But yeah, I would love to see yours going. Yeah. You and Too me bad. Both. You're like 2000 miles away from me. Yeah. Shipping, shipping on that might be a bit expensive. <laughs> yeah. What was, I shipped that motorcycle to, I think Pennsylvania, that Don Vesco RD. And I think that was like 800 bucks. <laughs> Yeah, well, I didn't pay for it, but yeah, no, I know. Uh, stuff. I was looking. So speaking of looking on, you know, for a, a inexpensive motorcycle, I found this uh, Honda Nighthawk, a 1992 Nighthawk 750 on Craigslist, and it says that the starter clutch is no good, but you know everything else is supposedly working. They want like 1,200 bucks for it, and I was thinking about, uh, you know looking at it because if it bump starts and i can you know test everything out and it it all works i mean a starter clutch that's an easy fix so and i've kind of always wanted a nighthawk 750 one of the kind of later variety so either that or i would really i mean i would absolutely love to find a honda hawk the rc what is rc 30 31 yeah rc 31 yeah, I would love to find one of those, but yeah, those think, are a little think, bit more money. Yeah, and I think they've all been ragged out as race bikes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for point. sure. It's so hard to find one of those. It's actually yeah, you're, you're, yeah, that or a CB1. I mean, you know, yeah, how, how rare yeah. a Honda do you want to find? And all the CB1s have been either clapped out or modified in really poorly thought out ways. So yeah, mm-hmm. the CB750 Nighthawk, the later one always looked really bizarre to me yeah it's got this really tiny little almost peanut sized tank on it and it's got really big side covers and and a massive amount of body work around the back of the seat it just looks so tail heavy yeah i've never liked them and i did see one modified they they stripped a bunch of the body work off the back and it was like a different bike and i was like Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. It's not the most attractive motorcycle in the world, but it's kind of just a sewing machine. And 72 horsepower is really not that bad. I think that's what they have. It's really kind of the last do-it-all standard bike that was designed to, you know, do you want to go tour on it? you want to commute on it? Yeah. And they're they're absolutely bulletproof motors. Those motors are... Mm -hmm. You don't even have to adjust the valve. They've got the hydraulic valve lash adjusters on them and stuff. Yeah. 
it does remind me of the CB250 Jade, which was the 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 four cylinder 250, the CBR250R motor. Oh yeah, that they sold in the Orient and a couple of other places, the Middle East and stuff, places where they have restrictions that keep you to 250 cc's. Mm-hmm. The Jade looks like a scaled down Nighthawk, but with a nicer tank shape on it. If if I if I could spend seven grand to have something shipped over, yeah, I think it's just kind of that same thing. Of it just looks like a motorcycle. Like if you asked a twelve year old in nineteen eighty, draw a motorcycle, <laughs> they would probably nailed <laughs> the generic profile. They 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 would come up with would be one of these. You know, yeah, yeah. The tank design is much more attractive, and I think a two fifty four cylinder would be really cool. Only well, that's too bad to you know 20 grand or whatever it is 21,000 rpm yeah do you like 7,000 bucks do you think that that's like i actually looked into it and if i could do it i would do either a cb250 jade or i would do the original fc250 phaser Ah, there's a like exotic motorcycle importer that is based here in the states they have a stock of jdm stuff that they bring over and they will do custom requests you know Hmm. uh they have custom import services mostly what they bring over are like the 250 two-stroke replica racers the the 400 triple honda a lot of the screaming two strokes a lot of the little uh like the v4 honda Mm -hmm. the vfr 400 yeah the single-sided swing arm honda v they were they were the yeah they were so the 40, no, it wasn't the no. 45. It was the the 30 was the 750, and then the 400 cc one was. Ah, I'm going to kill myself for not being able to remember it off the top of my head, but I'm is sure the, I'm, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's someone listening to the podcast is absolutely the screaming at their radio yeah, or no. whatever. They're like, "How do you not <laughs> know it? It's this. I have no business being a podcast host because as soon as I need. To come up with a word or a phrase, it's like my brain just locks up and goes blank. NC30, that's what it was. NC30. It was NC30, yep. yep, yep they yep. have one in stock. So I'm like, oh, let's see what I want to buy. <laughs> yeah. There's, there was yeah. the NC30, which was the earlier one, and then the uh, NC35. Um, yeah. It was, was, was the second generation one. I think oh. Iconic Motorbikes does quite a lot of the NC30s. I think, like... Whenever I see Instagram posts from them, it's like invariably it's some sort of two stroke or an NC30. All right, let's see what's what's an NC35 going to cost me. Uh, do they have a price here? They do not. Pre rival purchase twelve grand. Actually, that's probably about right for that bike. And then let's see for the MC21. This is a Rothman's edition two fifty two stroke. This thing's going to be about twenty grand. I'm sure. Uh, no price, which means if you want it, <laughs> be prepared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Twenty-five grand for another one they have. So yeah, I, I was pretty close on that. So ah, two fifty-two strokes. I miss mine, except for I don't. <laughs> well, I, I, I say that because my TZR two fifty. I love that bike. It's just I live in the wrong place in the world for it because it's. I mean, other than maybe Florida or Texas, 
you know, um, cause it's all just a bunch of straight flat roads, in, you know, around here. So <laughs> it, it misses the point of owning that thing. So, but I yeah. still miss it cause it's, you know, fun. Um, sorry, speaking of bikes that are for sale and we're completely off topic of garage, but I was talking to my friend, um, Tom Beisheim, who in the motorcycle world is often known as Tom Pinky. He had a really bad accident. Oh, geez, it's been eight, 10 years now. Um, and he still tries to ride off and on, but uh, I was talking with him earlier this week and he's going to be selling two of his bikes. Um, one which he bought and, um, uh, he loves, but it just, he can't. It, it hurts his back too much to ride now. Um, is a Z900 RS. Um, is what that is it the... the orange and root? It's not the full cafe version of it, but it is that, that uh-huh. Kawasaki. And it's yeah. the, or, what do you call it? Root beer and orange one. And it looks, I looked it up I'm like, oh, that looks really good. And then the other one that he's selling is this KLR650. Oh, yeah. Um, which I've ridden. I ridden, I rode that to MotoGP at Laguna back in 2007. And that's a, that's a fun bike. So yeah. get a hold of us if you need contact information, you're interested in one of those. <laughs> <laughs> what year is a KLR? Good question. I'm going to say early 2000s, like four or five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Although they're pretty much one. all the same from yeah, like 86 and now. Yeah. But yeah, that one's, that one's a little hard for him to get off and on to because he's, he, uh, he has a, uh, a rod in his chest holding his ribs together. And yeah. so he can only really like bend at the waist and getting on and off a tall bike is a little hard for him. So yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, back to workshop updates. I don't have a lot other than my friend and I have been doing a little bit of work on the Predator powered KX 125. And so, uh, Got the engine mounted, chain hooked up, everything functional, and it was actually surprisingly well powered for what it was. Now, it doesn't have a lot of horsepower, but it is 212 cc's and it makes pretty good torque. So, like, it rides around effortlessly up to a certain speed. And then it really, like, the RPMs just wouldn't climb after a certain point, partly because of gearing and power and everything else. So, what we ended up doing is doing a full race port job on the cylinder head and doing big valves a big cam um billet rod billet flywheel uh made a carburetor adapter and put a makuni i had a you know makuni carburetor laying around so we put a makuni carburetor on it and kind of worked out some kinks and then under one of the first throttles it just blew the chain apart on it oh <laughs> so, really <laughs> yeah so now um it was using a 420 chain which was kind of its own challenge because you know the the mini bike uh style jack shafts it's you know commonly 420 size sprocket but the rear hub was a 520 and so we ended up sort of just making we took um a 420 sprocket and um, repatterned it to mount to the hub. I think what we're going to do is go back to a 520 chain and um, kind of figure out a way to do a 520 sprocket on the mini bike style jack shaft. But it's it's really hard to find a 420. A 420 chain would be adequate enough if there was a really good one, but it's almost not worth the hassle to buy a really good 420 chain when it would just be better overall to go back to the 520 size 
So, yeah, so we're going to um, kind of rework the chain setup on it. But the thing actually is like, uh, besides the chain, it seems that everything else is working really well so far. So I think we're going to make it work in its current configuration and then probably um, give it a ton more compression and then do methanol on it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So that'll probably require welding in the combustion chamber. It'll need 16 to 1 compression. So we'll have to probably weld the combustion chamber and machine it up a little bit, but we'll get there. And then I've got um, some 34 millimeter Makuni carbs that have external power jets on them. And so we'll put one of my EGTs on it, throw the uh, Makuni carburetor with the adjustable power jet, and get it running on methanol. And that'll really warm it up. So. <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> one of the downsides of methanol is that your gas, your fuel economy is just horrific. Well, yeah, I it's mean, a six you, to, you burn. It's a, it's a six to one ratio versus a 14.7 to one ratio. Yeah. So um, you burn twice as much fuel running methanol as you would gas, maybe more than twice. But the way that it, the motorcycle is set up, we can still use two fuel tanks. So we have the original tank uh, for the, the dirt bike and then the Predator fuel tank below that. So there is a good three and a half gallons of fuel storage, uh, you know, which is going to be plenty still. So buy yourself so, a five gallon pail of C, uh, VPC 16 just as a backup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At what point are you completely losing the plot of buying a cheap little Harbor Freight motor for this. I, I mean, mean, we already did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of fun because these things are so cheap, right? It's like a hundred dollar engine and, and all of the hot rod parts for it are really inexpensive. They're all Chinese made, you know, and it's of questionable quality, but who really cares? <laughs> um, and then, you know, the, the port job is free, you know, it's not like that costs money and, you know, camshaft is, is cheap. It's like 45 bucks for a camshaft and 50 bucks for the billet rod. And, you know, because we can, we can do methanol. And, you know, it's kind of fun to keep progressing. And, you know, we'll probably stop there. I don't think there's any point in trying to do nitromethane on it. So we'll probably just stick with the methanol and see what happens. Does methanol react with the plastic tank at all? Uh, No, not methanol. Basically... Well, it's just it's just an alcohol, really. Right. It won't hurt the plastic. So. But you don't want to keep it in there because it'll either evaporate or attract a bunch of water. So yeah, if you're not it, using it, it, it you tend to keep it with water, you know, because it is water soluble. And you're right. Also, another thing that you have to do is you have to purge methanol motors after you run them. So you have to run gasoline through it, basically, to make sure there's no methanol sitting in the cylinder because it'll rust. Interesting. Um, because of the water that it attracts. Yeah, so you have to purge a methanol motor um, if it's going to sit for any measurable amount of time. Um, but the the plastic fuel tank is just fine. You could always you could always just like just run it on like E eighty five and call it close enough, right? Yeah. If you have if you have E eighty five, I mean it's not quite the same thing at all, but it's no, it um it'd be it'd be easier, but so a power potential of E85 that's obviously better than regular gasoline. It doesn't mean yeah. methanol. No. Um, and it wouldn't require quite as much compression to run the E85, but 
you know what's the fun in that. It's not like this has a practical purpose that you need. Yeah, to... no, not at all. But also, um, E85 is not easy to get around oh, where here. you are. Okay. No, it's like it's actually probably it's just as difficult to get E85 as it is any other exotic fuel like methanol or mm-hmm. like a strict added racing fuel. Nobody carries it, so you would have to go to a specialty distributor, and you might as well, yeah. you know, just buy methanol at that point. Yeah, Pete and I, so. Pete and I, being in the Midwest-ish area, it's like yeah. Not every gas station has it, but probably every other or every third gas station probably has it. Yeah, I, I yeah. would say not in my area. No, no, no. I, I very rarely see E85. No, it's just it's pretty common around here. So, yeah, the uh, KX212 is going through a new saga. So look for that next episode. I'll, I'll get I'll be I, sure to get a video of it running. But I gotta say, I at least need audio of that thing running because yeah. that on well, is going to sound cool. wicked. Because I had this um, extra FMF muffler, and so we ended up just making an exhaust pipe that kind of curves around like a normal MX exhaust pipe and goes right into the FMF muffler, which is mounted right where the dirt bike muffler would be. So, like, everything's all set up like it would be. It's actually kind of a well-sorted out little deal. So, And then with all this power, you know, snap the chain. Uh, (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. Um, also, if we go to the 520 sprocket size and chain size, we can get a much bigger rear sprocket. 420, you know, is found on like little, mo- like a you know little XR80 or XR50 or something. That would be 420. So the rear sprockets are you know sized for like a 10 or 12 inch wheel. A 520 sprocket because those are for big bikes with 18, 19 inch wheels. Um, you can generally find a lot bigger sprockets. So the motorcycle probably really should um, have a little bit bigger rear sprocket, which the 520 will enable us to do. And then I, yeah, I would say 44 teeth, which leads me onto something else. But let's let Pete duck about yeah. what he's got in the show. Speaking of cheap frames and plastic tanks, um, I haven't done that much, but I did get my 1974. SST Panther 175 frame. Mm-hmm. When it arrived, it literally had the the sticker on a piece of cardboard taped to the bare frame. It wasn't wrapped <laughs> in anything. It was it was. <laughs> they just stuck a piece of cardboard to it and and taped it on. And yeah. but it, but it arrived not terribly scratched up. It didn't get dinged up or anything. Wow. Well, I was planning to use. All the leftover parts that didn't fit on Boltockenstein, I was going to try and use on this. And the steering stem is exactly the same length as both my Aramaki frame and the Boltaco frame. At some point around the mid-70s, there must have been some kind of standard in European bikes that you make them yay long. Mm -hmm. But the outside of this is 46 millimeters. And all the standard bearing sizes go 45 47. Now, this was made in Taiwan in 1974, and I think they used English measurement, you know, the non-metric ball bearings. And you can't get the bearings that were in there anymore. I went out to McMaster Car. I went to the bearing houses and catalogs and stuff, and you literally can't find those dimensions in those ball bearings. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, tapered rollers 
everything out of Japan is either a 44 millimeter OD or 47. I don't know how to get bearings for this. Did I just get a something I can't use? Pyramid parts. I don't know where they get them because you can't buy them through eBay. You can't buy them through Amazon. You can't buy them anywhere. But they have all of these weird-ass sizes. And they had a 25ID 46 OD. Now, my diameter is actually 46.004. So it's mm-hmm. not a really good hard press fit in there. They won't drop in. You'd have to, you know, push them in. There's not any interference, really. I think the only reason mm-hmm. that they won't drop in by pushing with your hands is they're not perfectly round. Is, is this yeah. where you go find a, a, a cold Coke can or Pepsi can and just cut it and just well, use it I w- as the spacer? I happen to have a set of Pyramid Parts 45 millimeter bearings because I mistakenly bought them for my Boltaco because, like, the the Trials bikes had slightly smaller bearings. So I had actually, 10 years ago, bought the wrong bearings, and they've been sitting in a little plastic case forever. Originally, I was going to put some shim stock in there. I was going to get, I got some spring steel feeler gauge stock that I was going to put in there that would have been just perfect. And several people online were like, no, don't do that. There's enough vibration that that spring steel is going to push out against the inside of the uh, frame cup and it's going to chew it up eventually. So don't do that. Hmm. I was like, no, okay. And so I got the 46 and I was like, I don't know if this is really going to go. There is actually a special kind of uh, Loctite specifically made. It's bearing retention fluid. Mm-hmm. It turns to this super, super strength adhesive. And they said it can do like 25 hundredths of an inch clearance. Mm-hmm. And some guy did a, did a video of him with an old Harley frame, and he's like, see, look at the... And he's dropping the bearing races in. He's like, see, these just knock around in here. Put them on there, clamped them in, and let them sit. And he's like, yeah, they're, they're not going to go anywhere. They, they might as well be right up against the metal. This is mm. great nice. stuff. So I... for It's not cheap. It's like 34 bucks for a little couple-ounce bottle of it, but it's all I'll need. Mm-hmm. So... My third concurrent project bike. Uh, <laughs> I'm now ready to put a front end on it. I don't have any wheels for it yet, but I do have forks and steering stem. But little scope creep on Boltakenstein. I have a spacer underneath the steering stem because on the Suzuki it was longer. And I had it turned down, but I didn't realize... 10 years ago when I had this turned down that the inside is tapered and I think it may be a little thin right at the bottom of where I had it machined down. I think the the thickness of the actual steering stem towards the bottom, it may be a little sketchy. Well, when I did the Aramaki front end, because one of them was defective, I ended up with two GS500 front ends that are the right length. And I was like, wait a minute. So I ground the weld down and pressed one of them out. And I think it's the same diameter. And I can actually press out my 
too long one that's been machined and put in a GS500 steering stem. Just this past weekend, I worked out a little thing on my lathe, a spacer that will allow it to to match up to the the top where it all screws together is different on the GS650 that I'd be mm-hmm. using. But I was like, I can make this work. So I have been working on that. I now need to put my bike that I can roll around nicely on some kind of a lift and take the front end off. So I keep dragging my heels on that because I'm like, oh, man, as soon as I do that, it's gonna, I, I'm, I'm going to be tripping over stuff in my shop. And so I've been with the holidays and working from home and having my wife home all day. It's, I haven't done much, but yeah. I've gotten to the point where I need to take the front end off, see if I can put the better front end on, and then the old front end will go on the one that I'm building out of truly spare parts and I don't care how it works. I don't care what it looks like. It's just going to be totally for fun. Mm -hmm. So the front end's coming together. I bought a seat for my CB125 project that was like $40 from Banggood. Got it shipped from China. Mm -hmm. It fits really nicely on this. Perfect. And it matches up perfectly to the Can-Am qualifier tank that I bought for Bull Talkenstein that I decided I didn't like and I wasn't going to use and I couldn't get a nice finish on it. That went in. I'm finally going to use that YZ125 monocross swing arm with two shocks. Mm-hmm. And they're just cheap non-reservoir Chinese shocks. But they're they're nice alloy. And they amazingly have a really, I think, okay spring rate when I used a pair of them on there. I kind of did the bounce on it test and it's only going to have like two, two and a half inches of rear suspension travel. So it's not going to be great. But, uh, you know, I think my Boulevard only had like three and a half. And I know the Indian Scout Bobber has two inches and a lot of old plunger bikes had two inches with no damping. So I'm like, you know what? Mm-hmm. This is not ideal, but I am using all these damn spare parts that I bought that are sitting on a shelf. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'd really like to get maybe a little pe- peanut tank on there. But then I've got a square front on the seat and that would, I was like, you know what? I don't care what it looks like. I don't care whether it's the goofiest, most awkward looking thing in the world. If it fits, it ships. If it, if I can make yeah. it work on here, Whatever it looks like, it looks like. So I'm trying to go through that. I did uh had the idea of putting my second Boltaco motor that I've been collecting parts for in this frame. And I went to fit it in there, and it's got really f- some funky brackets in it. And it. I couldn't really get it. I was like, well, I don't know. It probably fit. It probably wouldn't. And then I thought, it's a $100 frame. Cut the freaking brackets. So yeah. I started chopping off some brackets and it had a welded in battery box that I cut out in order to f- make room for the shocks and verify that was all going to work. So I was like, yeah, just, just cut it up. It's, it's a hundred bucks. Who cares? You're not going to ch- go buy something special for it. And I put the Boltaco motor in there and it's just a little bit too big. Yeah. It would have to be kind of canted funny. You know, it wouldn't sit in there perfectly horizontal and, and I was like, I really, really, really want to put either something like uh, 
you know, a, a little 80 or 85 cc motocross motor in there, a little liquid cooled yeah. motor and get mm-hmm. the radiators for those are just tiny. You could put oh, yeah. it anywhere. Exactly. And this has got nice, you know, double down tubes. You could weld a couple tabs on there. Yeah. There would be no problem. Either that or a blaster motor. I mean, the original mm-hmm. intent of this was to find something that I could put a blaster motor in if I wanted to. They're ex- much more expensive than I thought they were. Yeah. They're more expensive than they should be. <laughs> Three and four hundred dollars for a set of bare cases on eBay, and I'm thinking, yeah, I for four or five hundred dollars, I can buy a little, you know, KX85 motor, mm-hmm. and it's going to be more high strung, but it sure is going to be easier to, you know, get everything to line up and fit. Right. There was an old like 1980 air cooled CR125 motor, the old red motors that Honda had, yeah. that I was really kind of tempted to do it but then i noticed that it had a broken boss one of the the mounting bosses on the crankcase was broken oh really what did it like throw a chain and break it or something is no, that what it looked like at the very back it's got a boss that the swing arm pivot goes through and yeah. the whole back of that was broken oh, that whole thing was broken yeah. yeah and i was like eh, it was not a bad deal but i'm like nah, i'm not gonna mess with that i already got two ducati engines both with broken mounting bosses in the crankcases so i'm like yeah okay. yeah well i don't want to go too old because the whole point of this was get away from the you know the, the parts availability like an electronic ignition if you just had something with an electronic ignition you know because that would really save a lot of hassle with having to adjust points and all that so at least five or six years ago i found a really nice running what was it a kdx 420 motor uh-huh I think it was like $500 on uh, eBay. And I was like, oh, that'd be cool. I could do that instead of a Boltaco motor. Kind of the same, you know, attractable, big, grunty two-stroke. That'd be cool. But the guy said the compression's a little low, probably needs a top end. And I went out and I started looking at what Kawasaki still has available in OEM parts for that bike. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing. Oh, I'm used really? to, I mean... Boltacos are starting to get pretty thin on the ground, but you can still get all of the, you know, crank bearings, rods, small end bearings, rings, pistons, all that stuff's totally available. And this, it was scary how few parts of that engine were actually something you could buy. And they only made it, I think, a year or two. So it wasn't like you're going to find a whole bunch out there. And the whole point of going with like a blaster motor or a little water-cooled 85 is to have something new enough that I don't have to worry about parts availability. Right. So I don't want to get too old and then I'm I'm over a barrel again with right. somebody because he's got the only one widget that's for sale and he's asking way too much for it. And you're like, oh, man, I'm, I want to get away from that. So especially for something that's going to be nothing. It probably only makes a few horsepower, but there's always the LaFawn. 250 cc you know vertical i i don't think i could do it i don't think it would physically fit in the frame yeah if a bull taco engine is a little too big then one of those would probably be much too large right it and the biggest thing is the frame tubes just don't come down very far the whole thing is really high in comparison with the rest of the bike so i was like yeah there's there's no way i could put a four stroke anything in there yeah that I kind of 
forced myself to set aside. I was starting to go down a rabbit hole with a bunch of stuff. I was looking at wheels for it. And I was actually thinking about two Venture 1200 front wheels because you can buy them all day long for about 35 bucks a piece shipped from eBay. And they're kind of cool. They got, yeah, well, they got like three sets of three uh-huh. spokes that are parallel. It, it's a cool looking thing. And it's a, like a, a two and a half inch wide 16 or excuse me, 18 inch wheel. Mm-hmm. And it had disc brakes on both sides. So it would be fairly easy to mount a sprocket and, you know, might need a spacer or something to get the chain line. Right. Right. But I would not have a cush drive. But if I have an 85cc MX motor, I don't yeah. need a cush and drive. No, I mean, that so. would be for like pleasure cruising. I don't think you need a cush drive for anything that you're going to be doing on that. No, because it's going to be a really stupid, <laughs> unrideable thing anyway. So <laughs> yeah. if I've got something that will work on my shelf, it's what it's getting as far as fenders and handlebars and everything. It's like, I don't care. It's just going to be Heinz 57, whatever I can fit together. So as cheaply as possible. So, yeah. Uh, as far as we'll talk inside, I'm working on the seat. Uh, I've got some, the actual seat pan is nice and securely mounted. I've got that all together and I'm upholstering the seat. And last time, last month I was telling you I was struggling with what to get for seat foam. I got a great suggestion from one of the guys on, uh, one of the forums who was like, go get an inch and a half thick uh, yoga mat. Mm. They're coated on one side with water resistant plastic. It's an open cell foam, but it's, it's coated on the top. So that when you're sweating on it, when you're working out, it's still got a barrier there. Mm-hmm. And I ordered one really nice one. That's, you know, three feet wide and six feet long. They can, I can make 10 seats out of, for 30 or 35 bucks. Oh, yeah. And that's a uh, whole lot less than upholstery foam. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, okay, uh-huh. and I I actually cut it out to the size I needed and put it on the seat and kind of just use a little spray adhesive to hold it in place and then I sat down and I'm like, it was just about the right height, you know, it was just about the right thickness, it felt kind of cushy on my butt. I'm like, this would work. So, I got some pre-made vinyl diamond stitched upholstery that's got kind of a maybe an eighth inch foam backing on it that's stitched to it. So it's kind of got that pillowed look to it. And I'm going to use that on the top of it. And I just got regular vinyl marine upholstery fabric for the sides and the back of it. And I'm kind of been messing with some cardboard or, you know, poster board fabric pattern of exactly what size I need to stitch together. And I've, I have three older sisters. I grew up sewing. I have a sewing machine. So I'm finally into something here that I was like, okay, I have enough experience. I'm not like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. That so. reminds me. That's uh, something that I haven't yet gotten into, but I want to um, dabble in it is like some upholstery kind of seat making, sewing and stuff. And I'm wondering, and you might know, would just like if I went to a craft store in one of those sewing machines that they have is that adequate or do you really need like a more specialized sewing machine uh, i'll for tell you i'm sewing through there are some heavy duty sewing machines that you can buy at a commercial outlet that will do not real leather but like fake vinylette leather if it's mm-hmm. not too thick you can stitch two of them together but you're not going to be able to fold it over and do a do a a double stitch 
yeah. over, you know, through, through four layers of it. Uh, my sewing machine is a pretty basic one. It's a Toyota SEO six, which actually was never sold in the United States. I, somebody brought him in gray market from somewhere and I, I bought it on a closeout thing from a wholesaler, but it was sold in the United States as the white jeans machine. And it was specifically made as a heavier duty or a heavier duty or <laughs> a more heavy duty home sewing machine for things like making jeans and, you know, canvas purses and stuff like that. One of the uh, sailing channels that I watch, because, you know, I waste, and rather than actually getting something done, I'll watch <laughs> sailing, yeah. which is something I'll never do. Um, but they rebuilt a bunch of their stuff and like for sales and all the, for the fabric around it, that's some pretty thick stuff. Um, the one I posted in here, I think this is the right one. It's the sale, right? We'll go through like thick canvas and stuff like that. So if you wanted something that was sort of semi-industrial grade, it's that, but I know they're not cheap. They're like seven, 800 bucks probably, oh, yeah. if not more. So it looks like they're, yeah, 900, a thousand, 800, but, it, but it's one of those things that when you start going through fabric, especially if it's thicker fabric and leather, I know from my friend, John Bickle, uh, up in Canada, like you had, if, especially if you're doing leather work, cause he sews back together, not only just, uh, race leather race suits for rate, you know, motorcycle racing, but he does a lot of work for hockey too. And it's like, if you don't have a really good sewing machine, they, they'll just break and they'll, you'll chew them up. So your, yeah. your only other option is to find something like old, really old on eBay or whatever. Uh, yeah, that's, that's more like that. And you could probably, but you're still going to pay like five, 600 bucks for them. So yeah. Yeah, because I would like to get something that can sew through two, well, d two double layers, you know, like with the folded over stitching, like Pete was talking about, like, you know, they would normally do on an automotive seam. Singer has a pretty basic machine. It's kind of similar to the same market as mine. They call it the heavy duty sewing machine from Singer. It's like a, a 4432. It's right on my screen right now. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. but it is designed to be fairly basic, but heavy duty. I, it's 278 bucks, but I'll tell you what you really want to do is you want to get there. There is a hand crank, like leather stitching cobbler's machine. Uh, there's a YouTuber that has made them popular pretty much single handedly. These actually work. There are some little things you need to do. And you need to bolt them down to a workbench because you can't hand crank them on. They yeah. come with a really rinky dinky little stand and you got to really crank them. It, it having them hand crank really is not a big deal because when you're going through leather, you, you can't go very fast anyways. Mm -hmm. When I'm doing really heavy stuff, half the time with my electric machine, I'm just sitting there cranking the, the knob to one stitch, one stitch at a time. Yeah. Right. You start trying to punch through it quick you're just going to break needles so you just go very slow and so do you like use one hand and you like maybe make a revolution and then just kind of feed it with the other hand one thing that i do which is kind of the cheater way to do it i'll actually take super glue like how you would normally with a pattern and fabric you pin them together mm -hmm. on that hem or the the seam at the very edge of it i'll just go ahead and and put some drops of super glue and literally glue the good sides together before I stitch. Uh-huh. And then you're just holding it with one hand, cranking with the other, and you're just walking it through. And if it's heavy material, 
It's not going to fold on you. Mm -hmm. You just kind of pull on it, keep it lined up where you want to stitch with one hand and crank with the other ones. And you can, you can do that. I haven't got one of these, but I think I may to do this seat yeah. because they're cheap enough that um, they do need require some modifications. Watch a couple of the YouTube videos, but yeah, uh, I'm going to look at that because I would love to make my own motorcycle seat. That's something that I haven't done. I've you know built everything else in a motorcycle, but never a seat. About 20 years ago, I I knew a guy that turned out to be a real piece of garbage, but uh, his business was marine upholstery. Mm-hmm. He reupholstered real fancy, you know, Donzai and cigarette boats and pontoon boats for people that wanted custom upholstery. Right. And, and he had a huge, I think it was like, you know, 15 amp motor on this thing. <laughs> he would use real heavy marine vinyl. I haven't spoken with him in 20 or 25 years, but uh, he did teach me a lot about working with some of that heavy material. Yeah. If you do it right, it's easier than you think. If you do it wrong, it's it's easy to put together. It's hard to make it look nice and seamless and and lays flat and yeah is symmetrical and all that kind of stuff. You know, actually just getting the stuff stuck together is the easy part. Yeah. Kind of like welding. Uh, yeah. I had that FZ1 seat reupholstered before I sold it and the upholstery shop that I went to is this local shop and, and they're kind, but I just think maybe they're somewhat limited on what they're interested in doing. Cause I had kind of told him about what I wanted. And I mean, in short, the response was basically like, well, I'm going to do it this way. And he just made, he did it like as, as simply and as basic as he could, even though I was willing to pay for what I wanted done. But it just, like, I could tell it just wasn't going to happen. I've, and, and that guy has done a few motorcycle seats for me, and it's kind of been the same each time. And I'm at a point now where I'd, I'd rather just do it myself and get what I want and learn a new skill at the same time. So, you know, and also the, it wasn't inexpensive to have him do it, even though I didn't get what I wanted. So I'm just kind of over spending money on upholstery especially for something small when I'd rather just learn how to do it and, you know, make what I wanted. Okay. I'm doing it right now. I'm buying one of those cobbler machines. <laughs> Which one are you getting? Is it on Amazon or eBay? I will post a link. Uh, let me go ahead and place my order so that I can uh, get out of this screen. All right. I'm going to check this out. I kind of want to buy one too. $105 with free shipping. So yeah, hell, that's mine says 109 well, there's an instant coupon, though. Oh, yeah. There you go. All right. I'm going to have to watch some YouTube videos tonight on how to use these things <laughs> and see if I can't do some upholstery work on my own. Um, my friend uh, John Hall texted me the other day, and this goes into stuff we've talked about a few times on here about what the hell is going on with Harley Davidson. Yeah. Apparently, uh, they are having not only across the board increases in all their pricing for 2021 models, uh, but they're also reducing the content at the same time. Yeah. What do you, what do you mean reducing the content? Like they're reducing the models? The no, no, as far as like in some of the upper oh. level models, some of the features that would come with uh, the, with yeah. the models, their decontenting would be a better, better term for it. Right. That's an old joke. It's like, don't they decontent themselves as they go down the road? But you know, that's an old, <laughs> you know, insert old bit joke right here. Um, yeah. this sounds like one of two things. 
either there's someone who uh, just got hired from a consulting firm to be like CFO that they didn't really see anything about, or they're setting themselves up for sale because they're trying to make their their numbers look good. Yeah, there's something going on there. I I can't you know I've got no information one way or the other, but that's typically is the things that you do um, when you're looking to make a move or do something strategic. Yeah. Well, something's got to change. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, their electric bike revolution isn't exactly working out for them. Um, no. And speaking of Harley, did you guys happen to watch the uh, the Bagger special on 44 Teeth? I haven't yet, no. Okay. It's, it's pretty interesting because it's uh, the... K1600, whatever the bagger K1600 is from BMW. And then I didn't even realize, of course, I don't really pay attention to the bikes, you know, but there is a bagger Honda Goldwing. Yeah. The low end doesn't have a tail trunk on it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, So anyways, they rode from, they basically kind of rode up from the Bristol area, which is actually Southern, pretty, pretty well South in England up to John O'Groats like at the top of top of Scotland and then down to land's end. And they did it over like three days, except they really mm-hmm. only showed the two days of uh, John O'Groats to, to land's end. Um, and one of the funniest things, and, and like, if you're not paying attention, you don't get to get it till later. But as they're riding through Scotland on the first day, they go to knock Hill, which is this racetrack, kind of a famous racetrack up in Scotland and ride the bikes on track. <laughs> not like any kind of real speed, but they're like going on. And it's the funniest thing. And like, if you're not paying attention, you don't see like, you think, do they just roll up there and just sneak on the track and start doing this? Um, but there's a strategic video cut in there. And then when they're going out on the track, you see this green light. So that green light would not be on unless someone was paying attention. And then, yeah. So they, uh, turns out that, um, Al's, one of Al's uh, former teammates from racing is like the manager of the place now. So oh, they yeah. rolled up there and they, they arranged it, but it was funny because they're like these, you know, 800 pound bagger motorcycles and they're not going at speed, but it's also like four degrees Celsius and a little huh. damp and they're going around a racetrack. So it was, that was, that was pretty fun. And they just, I'll have to watch that tonight. Yeah. Both of them. There's it's two parts and it was good. And what I've, what I've determined is, um, he did that with Mossy and Mossy is like lobster, right? It's really good as long as you don't have it like all the time. Like you right. want it, you, you want it to be special, <laughs> right? So everyone's like, Oh, we need more Mossy. We need more Mossy. I'm like, I like him when he's like lightly spaced out because that means you look forward to it and it feels special, right? So, um, yeah. but it's, it's great. And there's, it's just, both of especially the first one, I was just laughing hysterically at a bunch of different stuff. So, um, and it turns out that they both really liked that Goldwing Bagger and thought it was an amazing motorcycle. Yeah. So, um, they sound really cool, actually. The six cylinder motors. Yeah. Yeah. They well, sound like you neat. put a good, you put a good exhaust on it and it's got a Porsche esque sound to it. So, yeah. 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 Uh, YouTuber that I watch all the time, uh, the Missenden Flyer. Yep. Yep, he, he, com- he he's commented on that on both of those videos. It was funny. He had a Goldwing, and he went from being a little skeptical to not wanting to give it back. He's like, "This is so amazing that you can make something that is this big work mm-hmm. this well." And he 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 liked it so much more than he thought he was going to 
And I was going to say, if you want to hear us talk more about riding from John O'Groats to Land's End, go back and listen to False Neutral. Episode 36 was our bucket list <laughs> ride episode. Wow. 2016, around the time that SmackDab started. So, uh, by the way, in another couple days and the registration is going to open for SmackDab on the 15th. So that's going to happen. Hopefully a little able to participate a little more this year. Fingers crossed. Yeah. And uh, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, this is freshly minted stuff. This podcast is only a couple of hours old because we're recording this on Monday evening and it's supposed to go live tomorrow morning. So I'm going to have to sit up and edit this, do all my post-production and get well, it. Thank up. you for that. It'll be a quick edit. Well, unfortunately, I've been goofing around so much this whole time. I'm going to have to cut out all my dead air. So when we talk next, I uh, I would like to have hopefully at least started taking my engine apart. Yeah, I have. Um, by the next time we'll me, um, I need to get my Trail 70 together. The one that I uh, powder coated Sapphire Blue. And what I really need is an engine for it. Now, I'm not interested in putting an original engine in. Um, I have an original Honda 70 motor. Not of this. It's not a 1970. It's um, a few years later. But I really want to find like a Chinese 90cc engine um, that is close enough to original looking, you know, with the um, silver cast aluminum cylinder head and a black cylinder and just silver cases and it's actually kind of hard to find a like a chinese replica engine that's you know kind of matches the original they're either painted black or oftentimes they're just the 125 cc motors and those ones are dimensionally a little bit bigger the cylinder is taller and bigger and i don't want that so i need to find just a chinese you know, 90 or 110 cc engine or even a 70 cc um, to buy and just put it in, you know, with a CDI ignition because I don't need it to be. I want it to look original from a distance, but it doesn't have to be super close to original. So if you know well, of any, I, I, sells I of actually those. thought of you earlier this month, either on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist locally to me. There was a guy that was selling a brand new Chinese 50cc. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if it was the auto clutch or manual clutch. I'm assuming auto clutch, but he wanted yeah, that's like, what I want. he wanted yeah. like 150 bucks for it. And I was, and yeah. it was brand new. He said, I bought it. I was going to do something with it and I didn't. I just wanted out of here. And I was like, for 150 bucks, I'd almost buy that. Yeah. But, yeah, because new, the going rate is like three to four hundred bucks for one of those engines, it seems. So, um, Piranha makes a 90cc engine that's, um, it's pretty close, but they want a little bit of money for theirs. It's like four hundred plus dollars for an engine. And I was hoping to get something a little bit cheaper, but, um, you know, back, Back when um, these like Chinese replica engines were first coming out, it's like there are just tons of 70cc engines, just like a direct replacement. And now there aren't 
a lot of the lower displacement motors, it's all like 125 and 140 cc engines. And actually trying to find something that's more just replica based is is a lot more difficult than it used to be, I've found. So and and a lot of them are out of stock too. There's um you know, the manufacturers still have them, but I'm guessing just because of production issues in China and COVID and all that, finding a place that has an engine ready to ship is kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to find one that's A, ready to ship, and B, the displacement that I want, a semi-auto clutch. A lot of them now are electric start, and I don't want electric start. So it's actually kind of been a little bit of a challenge to find an engine. I also think they're suffering from what we've been talking about, that a whole lot of people with little bikes didn't know what to do during lockdown. And Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's the reason why blaster motors are expensive and they're expensive. And Yeah. Cool. Let's uh, get back in the shop here in the next couple of weeks and get that Trail 70 together. If I have to, I'll use my original engine. I just, I would rather not, so... Rather not because it requires more work or you want to save that for something well, else? I don't want, I want something with an electronic ignition. Um, and the engine that I have is the original one to my other Trail 70, which I, my other Trail 70 has a Chinese engine in it. Um, I want to keep that original engine at the side because at some point I'll put it back in my other Trail 70. I could use it in the interim for this, you know, Sapphire Blue one that I have. Um, but I'd rather just kind of do it the right way the first time um, and not put a, you know, interim engine in it. So, sure. mm-hmm. you know, that, that was just kind of my thought. But I'll have finished my little house projects that I've got going on in here and I'll be back in the workshop. Well, I had a pro- project the other day. I've 25 years ago, I got a old commercial like waiting room sofa that was just chrome legs and square pads for the back and the thing. And it's too big for the place we wanted to put it. Well, I realized with some creative unbolting and cutting, I turned the three seat, three cushion sofa into a two seat love seat. And I have leftover parts now. So that was my uh, job over the weekend. And it actually, I didn't do anything structurally unsound and it's no weaker or uglier than it was when I got it. But it's like a seventies, what was it? Harvest gold and avocado colors that they Mm -hmm. had. So I was a little intimidated because I was like, okay, I'm going to have to just cut this. And once I cut it, it, I can't go back. I either have a junk or I'm going to figure out how to do this. So I got it to work. So Cool. Okay. Well, we'll wrap up here then. All right. Okay. If not before, I'll talk to you guys in a month and probably post something to Slack chat. Sounds Sounds good. good. Okay. Bye. Talk to you guys soon. See you guys.